I then thought the number one thing is to serve those students and thereby serve the institution, serve the parents of those students, also to serve myself in a way, and I call it servant teaching. And that led me to eventually taking early retirement about nine years ago and doing workshops and webinars and mentoring individual people on servant teaching because I got to the point where I had enough examples and stories and alternate ways of teaching, if you will, alternative pedagogies, if that's the best word, that I thought I should express those with other people. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Mike Jones, and I'm here today with my amazing co-host, Brad Garner, or as some might call him, B-Rad. Welcome, Brad. <laughs> hey, Mike. Glad to be here. I do want to send out an apology to our listeners, and I'm going to use a very obscure musical reference. Okay. Um, Tiffany, of course, is not here today, and this would be like buying a ticket to go to a concert to hear Gladys Knight and the Pips, and only <laughs> the Pips showed up. <laughs> okay, very nice. <laughs> so there's some other movies with a character called Pip, so I'll, I'll just have to roll on that for a little bit. <laughs> Well, our guest today embodies the topic we'll be discussing. Dr. Quentin Schultz earned his PhD in communication from the University of Illinois Urbana and taught at Calvin and other universities for 40 years before leaving full-time instruction to dedicate more time to writing, speaking, and mentoring. Quentin has written and or edited over a dozen books on a variety of topics related to teaching, higher education, and communication. He has been interviewed by most major media, such as the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, Fortune, the Chicago Tribune, USA Today, CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, and NPR. In his most recent book, Servant Teaching, Practices for Renewing Christian Higher Education, he encourages faculty to teach in a way that motivates students to learn with excellence, compassion, and delight. We are so excited to welcome Dr. Quentin Schultz as our guest today. Welcome, Quentin. Hey, Mike and Brad, it's my pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. And as always, Brad has once again delivered a deep and thoughtful list of get-to-know-you questions for our guest today. <laughs> Brad, you want to kick us off their first question? Actually, they're shallow and mindless, but we'll do it anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, I wasn't going to say it. So, Oh, uh, well, it's better for me to say it, I guess. <laughs> okay, Quentin, would you rather be an Olympic gold medalist or an astronaut? Oh, that's an easy one. I'm scared of heights. We'll go with the gold medal. And would you have a preferred event to people attribute to you? Oh, man, running. I would love to be able to run fast. Okay. All right. I love that. I love that. I didn't figure it'd be the high dive, so. <laughs> Let's see. Second question. Would you rather have invisibility or flight? That's another easy one for me. It's flight. My wife and I are big into bird watching, or as we oh. do call it birding. We go all over the country birding. And in fact, I'm out most mornings very early around sunrise looking at birds. And I could tell you a lot about birds. I've learned much over the years. 
and they teach us much about ourselves too and to some extent a lot about teaching so i'm going to go with flight wow very cool that would kind of counter the fear of heights too so i could see those <laughs> being a good one-two punch there yeah i would fly low you know like on a secret <laughs> mission under the radar there you go <laughs> so quentin when you travel to different locations is the purpose of that to see particular types of birds that you might not see at home for example yeah, sometimes we go to locations specifically to see birds in that area, including rare birds. I've actually had an endangered species land on my head and start pulling my hair out. Oh, wow. <laughs> How endangered was it at that point? <laughs> well, I think there were 200 of them left. Oh, goodness. Oh, really and, endangered. Yeah, re endangered. And my wife was laughing while this thing was on my head. What happened is I irritated the bird. We were in this area where we knew these birds were. They're called the Florida scrub jay. Florida scrub jay. They've come back a little bit, but we were out looking around for a Florida scrub jay in the scrub in Florida, and, and there weren't any around, so I thought I would call in some warblers. And there's a way to get warblers, depending on the time of year, to come take a look at you. They're curious, and it's called spishing. You go, psh, 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 or something like that. So I was spishing, and all of a sudden I saw this bird heading across the scrub right at me. Uh, what in the world is that? And I ducked down. The bird went over me, landed in a scrub bush on one side of me, and I turned around to look at it, see what it was. And th at that point, it jumped on my head and started pulling my hair out. And my <laughs> wife was laughing because it's a Florida scrub jay. And I said to her, is that a Florida scrub jay? She says, absolutely. We've seen one. We've seen one. And I said, well, here's the deal. He's pulling my hair out on my head, and I don't have a lot of hair left. And wow. she said, well, it's an endangered species. I don't think you should wallop him. So I just <laughs> stood there while he kept doing that, and then he took off, and I put my hand up on my head where there was a combination of blood and poop. Oh, wow. Oh, he nice. left you a gift, too. He so I, I have been shat upon by an endangered species. <laughs> so, Quentin, have you seen the movie The Big Year with Jack Black and Steve Martin? Not only have I seen that movie, I was a, a non-paid consultant on that movie because the producer of it's a former student of mine who's also a birder. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. That's great. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, it's about three guys who are competing with the greatest number of bird species within a calendar year. It's, a, right. it's an actual contest. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Every year. Yeah. So you can get into that kind of thing. Or there are weekend contests or whatever. Wow. Fascinating. Amazing. Well, with a story like that, this next question kind of gets a nice setup. So would you rather be the funniest person or the smartest person in the room? At this stage, I think I would rather be the smartest, but with a twist, Mike. <laughs> and my twist is this. I would like it to be the wisest. Yeah. I think we're in a world of growing information and declining wisdom. Nice. And mm -hmm. so... In my later years as a teacher, writer, researcher, all the stuff I do, I'm really aiming more and more for wisdom and less and less for information. Interesting. So actually today, at this very moment, Quentin finds himself being the wisest person in the room. Very good. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I don't know if it's true. Oh, it's so true. Once you get to know us better, you'll affirm that it's true. <laughs> you, We're just getting You guys started. are great. <laughs> so last question, would you rather be on an airplane between two arguing passengers 
or sit next to a screaming infant? Well, I've been in both. <laughs> and I can tell you right now, I would prefer to be between the arguing people. I love dialogue. I love debate. I love to get in the middle of differences of opinion on things and try to work them out and do some really good listening. So, yeah, put me in there with the arguers. All right. Okay. That's excellent. So later on, Mike and I are going to simulate that for you. We're going to argue. All right. I'm not sure what yet, but we always do. So we'll find some. So let's get to the serious stuff. Oh, you mean there is something serious on this show too? There will be indeed. And you're going to provide it. Anybody who's looked at your webpage, seen the promos for the many books you've written, it is so obvious that you have a passion for student learning and for teaching and doing it well. How did that all get started for you? Well, thanks for asking that, Brad. This is a tough one to answer now, but let's do it. I grew up in Chicago. My father was an alcoholic until he died when I was a freshman in high school. Quite abusive. My mother was a paranoid schizophrenic. And I grew up in a kind of living hell. Eventually, when I was in fifth grade, my parents divorced. They had to, really, because it was so self-destructive. And I had older siblings, but much older. And they were not around. So I ended up living in a trailer with my schizophrenic mother who really could not do anything. She never had a driver's license. And I had to kind of raise myself. It was very difficult and produced a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. In fact, I still suffer today. I'm 70 and I suffer with anxiety and depression that began back then. Now, what happened is I went inward to deal with this stuff. And in fact, in high school, I never went to a single social event. I had almost no friends. I was too embarrassed. We had no money. I lived with my mother in a trailer. We were what used to be called white trailer trash. And I was just trying to survive. And most of the time I was not prepared for things at school. And I was made fun of for not being prepared. And I didn't do well. I didn't like school. To this day, if I walk into a school that uses the same wax on the floors, and some still do, that they used back in the high school I went to, I get physically sick to my stomach. Wow. Mm, yeah. The orofactal trait there. Uh, yeah, that's right. That's the most direct way to the brain is through smell. So to make a long story short... When I ended up in college to study engineering, I also realized I needed to know something about communication. I was an inept communicator, and I started to study communication, and I became a communication major, and I started opening up, and I started learning that there was a whole world out there to be sampled, to be tasted, a whole world of delight in relationships through this incredible gift of human communication. And I began thinking about teachers and teachers that do that well and that don't. And eventually ended up, of all people you can imagine, I'd probably be the least one likely to become a teacher. Uh, but I did because I love human communication. I love serving people with this gift of communication. 
and teaching in my life began to make such a difference mm -hmm. in my development. And I wanted the same kind of thing for other people as well. So along the way, were there teachers who reached out to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Brad. That was it. I had teachers that were gentle people, kind people, good listeners, people who I discovered I wanted to be like. Uh, the, the most powerful form of persuasion in the Western world today is modeling so that people say, that's what I want to be like. And I started to realize that with some of my teachers. And then as I became a teacher, I began to ask myself, what's the kind of person that I can be like that students will both look up to and like and want to learn from and enjoy learning from? And a lot of that I learned from other teachers along the way, just great teachers that I had, including in college, that knew this well. And I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign, so it was not a small school. And for teachers in a school that is that big to really connect well with individual students was quite something. Mm -hmm. That is a powerful story. I love that. I love... Obviously, I love the underdog story, but to see resilience in a person, to come out of a situation and succeed, I think that's a great gift. As a teacher myself, when I can see a student and the light comes on in their mind for something, that's just thrilling to me. And, you know, communication is amazing. I think I agree with you. We're, we're losing that art form in a lot of ways with social media and the way that we connect with one another now digitally. Uh, great orators are hard to find. You find somebody that knows oration. It seems like it doesn't matter what they talk about. You're fascinated with listening. With that in mind, what advice would you give to faculty regarding communication with students and communicating more effectively? Okay, Mike. So lots to talk about here. Let me give you the first day of class in a college course. One of the things I say to my students is that I am grateful that you're in my course. I don't care if it's required or not. You may be here simply because you had to take it. You may be here because you heard something positive about me. Who knows why you're here? But I want you to know that I am honored and grateful. I'm going to start with this bit of wisdom. Our words flow from our hearts. This is the nature of what it means to be a human being. Our words flow from our hearts, not primarily from our minds. We can make all kinds of great arguments about things and learn to use words pretty well to convince people to make logical arguments and the like. But ultimately, our words flow from our hearts. So our hearts have to be engaged in teaching. Where's our heart at? And all of us dwell on a continuum as human beings. On the one side of the continuum, is gratitude. On the other side of the continuum is ingratitude. And ungrateful people tend to communicate in ways which they know they are doing or don't know can be subconscious where they're critical, where they're cynical, where they come across as being disinterested in others. And grateful people are open, engaging, kind. They demonstrate a genuine interest in other people. 
So I seek gratitude and I seek practices in my life that will make me more and more grateful. And I remind myself every day as a teacher that I need to be a grateful person, grateful for the gift of communication, grateful for the ability to teach, grateful for the school that's hired me, grateful for every student in the class, and on and on it goes. Gratitude is what forms our communication. So that's number one. So second thing is that communication is all about shared understanding. Shared understanding. Communication is not about personal expression. That's a common misnomer today. It's one of the myths of our age is that communication is simply expression. Well, people can express all they want, but if other people don't understand them, there's no communication. And unfortunately, communication has been narrowed down now to expression all over the place. So we say people are free to express. Well, that's great. But are they also responsible enough to express in a way that creates shared understanding? Understanding, to stand under one another, to be humble enough and empathetic enough and sympathetic enough that we understand each other. So I go into the classroom each day thinking, am I going to be teaching in a way that promotes shared understanding of whatever the topic it is, whatever we're talking about? Or if I'm teaching online, am I sending out text or posting short videos? Or in the classroom, am I contributing to the understanding by using a lot of short videos, which I love to use. I have students find short YouTube videos that demonstrate concepts in the course and use those. Is all of what I'm doing contributing to shared understanding? Because if we're not getting there, there's not communication and there is not going to be real education. So I think you've kind of started down this path, but this idea of being a servant teacher. Yeah. If I were to embrace that, what are some things that I should be doing to be a servant teacher? Thanks for asking that, Brad. So that's a term that I developed, servant teaching. And the reason I developed it, I've been very influenced by the idea of servant leadership, which is a, a broad and influential field of leadership right now and has been for about 35 years. And I've learned a lot from servant leadership. And as I looked more and more at my own approach to teaching, I thought, how well am I serving my students? Shall I think about it in those terms to be a servant teacher? Now, let me step back and explain how I got to that originally. I was teaching a course where the students had to take a blue book final exam. Boy, this is purgatory, blue books. This is where you sit down and you have to write essay responses on a blue book, and then you turn those in and it's the end of the course. And I love so-called blue book exams because I can throw in some great questions like, what did you learn this semester? Tell me some things you learned that are not designed to just to find out what students have not learned and to penalize them for that, but also to find out what they have learned and give them a chance to express that. And then I can see if what they've learned is in fact my understanding of what we were teaching or not. So I was giving a blue book exam. This was about maybe 12 years or so into my higher ed teaching. 
And a student came by, as the students always do, they came by the desk up front and put down the exam. And normally the students would make eye contact with me and say it was a good course. Or they wouldn't say it wasn't a good course, but sometimes they'd say, boy, it's a great course. I'm going to take another course with you. Or they'd just say, thank you for the course, something like that. Maybe they're hoping to influence my grading. Who knows? But at any rate, they would do that, and then they would leave. <laughs> so this student comes up, does not make eye contact, puts his exam down. He goes over to the door to exit the classroom where there is also on the floor a round tin can for a trash. And he takes the notes for the semester plus the textbook written by me, and he takes them all and loudly throws them into the trash can. Kaboom! And the students look up and they kind of chuckle, and he walks out. I was furious. Wow. Absolutely hmm. furious that he would do that in front of me. And that night I couldn't sleep, and I thought, man, oh man, oh man, am I in the wrong calling? What am I doing in my life? And, of course, I could just blame that student, but it led me to think about myself as a teacher and how well I was doing. I was never a bad teacher, but I had an idea over the next couple of days. And here's the idea, Brad and Mike. Could I teach a course in such a way that the students would want to keep the notes from the class for the rest of their lives? That was my goal, that my class would be so engaging, so interesting, so practical in a way, so worth their time and effort and creating good memories, a class where they flourished as human beings. Could I do that in a way where they would want to keep those notes? And that began me on a journey of altering how I teach and not playing by the rules, but just starting from scratch realizing that I, like everybody in higher education, was never really taught how to be a good teacher. I then thought the number one thing is to serve those students and thereby serve the institution, serve the parents of those students, also to serve myself in a way, and I call it servant teaching. And that led me to eventually taking early retirement about nine years ago and doing workshops and webinars and mentoring individual people on servant teaching because I got to the point where I had enough examples and stories and alternate ways of teaching, if you will, alternative pedagogies, if that's the best word, that I thought I should express those with other people. That's some great examples. And previously you gave us a good example of being hospitable and grateful when you welcome new students into a class. And I feel like there's some more depth that they can probably find in your book. But here, how else might we engage with students today? There's one thing to communicate with them, but I think engagement holds a little different connotation. Right. So what's going on right now, this is my field, right? Communication. And I continue to monitor the if you will, the research in the field, the journals and books and so forth, using various search engines, because I want to know what's going on with student changing. We always teach where the students are at or should, and it's a moving target right now because of a variety of things. Social media, the impact of social media is one of them. It's not the only one. Another big one is the 
amazing growth in depression and anxiety among college-age students. Now it's between 30 and 35% of college-age students have been diagnosed with anxiety and or depression. There are reasons for that I won't get into, and it's higher with female students. I won't get into that either right here, but so there are things going on, some of which are technologically related, and we're moving into what we could call a period of secondary orality. Not an oral culture, not a literate culture, but secondary orality among traditional college-age students. And what this means is we have to know how do you communicate under secondary orality. And let me throw out some very important things. Number one is storytelling. If you want to get the attention of students today, you've got to learn how to tell stories and tell them well. Stories become our primary means of using examples and illustrations. In my book, I give four different ways to use stories effectively. They could be stories from our own lives that illustrate the material. That's one, and that helps with transparency. So transparency is another one. The students today are more likely to want to learn from and will learn from teachers who are more transparent. So we have story, we have transparency. Another interesting aspect of this is likability. Likability is an immediate response that students have to people. Do they like them or not like them? And it's kind of like the way it is online. You decide right away when you see somebody and they're posting, do you like them? Do you want to like them? Do you stay with them? And so likability becomes very important. And we all tend to want to follow people who we like. So how is it that we create ourselves authentically as likable people? You know, this is so amorphous. It can be so difficult to uh, put into practice. And when I talk to college teachers about it, they say, well, you just want me to be nice and great easily and so forth. I say, no, that really has nothing to do with it. Look at it this way. When you meet somebody for the first time, are you thinking about whether or not you like them or not? If you're at a party in a conversation, do you want to stay with them and talk more? Are they interesting, engaging? Do they seem to have respect for you as a person? So likability becomes very important, number three. Here's another one. Number four is authenticity. In oral cultures, authenticity is absolutely essential. And putting on a facade, an image, is the death knell in oral culture. In literate culture, where everybody postures and everybody uses language and image to create an image of themselves, is one thing. But now, young people make immediate judgments about, is this person the real thing? Authentic, I defined authentic as saying what we mean and meaning what we say. And students get a sense pretty quickly as to whether or not they think a teacher is authentic. And if they get a sense of authenticity, again, they want to learn. They want to be with you. So these are sort of elements of oral culture that mm -hmm. come through. When I subtitled my book on servant teaching, one of the, the key elements I talk about there is virtue, teaching with virtue. It's an old-fashioned word that means good quality of character. And so a lot of what we're talking about here is the character of the teacher. What's our character like? 
Well, we're going to take a short break here and get our part two next week. So please come back and listen in to what Quentin will be talking about as we continue to speak on what it means to be a servant teacher and to teach in that manner. So we'll see you next week and thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.